Alright everyone, welcome back to the Royville Movie House. We just got out of the theater and all of my popcorn has been eaten. So let's get into what we just witnessed. We just watched number 43 on the American Film Institute's Top 100. It is called Midnight Cowboy. It stars John Voight as Joe Buck. Dustin Hoffman as Enrico Razzo, Rizzo, and Sylvia Miles as Cass. It was directed by John Schlesinger, and the writers are James Leo Hurley for the book of the same name and that this movie is based on, and Waldo Salt for the screenplay. I do mention... Sylvia Miles um, as a character, although we probably will not be discussing Cass too much because she's not in very much of the movie. I mention it because Midnight Cowboy was released in 1969. It is a rated X movie, and it is the only rated X movie that has received the Best Picture Oscar, as well as the Best Director and the Best Writing uh, writing. In an, ad- in an adaptation. I can't speak. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but it was also nominated. Both of the lead actors were, were nominated, both Hoffman and Voigt. And Sylvia Miles as Cass was nominated as a supporting actress. So they really enjoyed this movie, The Academy did. So I just wanted to throw that all out there. The synopsis of the movie is... According to Rotten Tomatoes, convinced of his irresistible appeal to women, Texas dishwasher Joe Buck, John Voight, quits his job and heads for New York City, thinking he'll latch on to some rich dowager. New York, however, is not as hospitable as he imagined, and Joe soon finds himself living in an abandoned building with a Dickensian layabout named Enrico Razzo Rizzo, Dustin Hoffman. The two form a rough alliance, and together they kickstart Joe's hustling career just as Ratso's health begins to deteriorate. The other thing of note, and if you watch the movie you'll know, is Everybody's Talking At Me is the featured song of the movie. It, it's played about ten times. I Actually, I think that's the only song in the movie. Aside from the harmonica. Right, right, true. Um, so, yeah, we're going to start, um, and everybody's talking at me is by Harry Nielsen. All right. Um, we're going to start by talking about the two characters that actually meant anything to this movie, which was Joe Buck and Ratso. Rizzo. Rico. Rico. Okay, Rico. That's there what he a, wanted to be called. Yeah, there was a thing that Joe kept calling him Ratso. He didn't want to be called Ratso. He had a real name, and that was kind of a running thing through the movie. So we'll probably call him Ratso just because that's probably the easiest to remember. All right, so Joe Buck comes from Texas. He's tall, good-looking, and not too bright. And he's a hustler. I'm just a hustler, ma'am. Or something like that, yeah. Through the whole movie, I... Through the whole movie, I was trying to grasp what Joe Buck was supposed to... Like, what his character was supposed to... Well, you know, Joe Buck likes to uh eat sandwiches. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Like, it's it's a very strange. This movie is very strange. There's no other way for me to put it. And because the movie is very strange, the characters are hard to nail down, I guess. Granted, Bratzo is a lot easier to nail down. He's very much like what the synopsis says. He's like from a Dickens novel, like straight, straight up. With a Bronx, Brooklyn, stereotypical Italian-American accent. But Joe Buck, he's dumb. Naive, I I think more. Okay, okay, naive. But he can barely read, too. They do a big thing with that. He takes a lot of time to sign his... To sign his name, and when he's at, when he's at uh, Rizzo's dad's grave, mm-hmm. that's what Rico talked about. Was my dad was dumb? He had to sign his name with an X. But like yeah, wasn't you. Buck in the military? I don't Maybe? even. I think so, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's he's any more than just okay. slightly literate. Okay, so so the first part of this movie before Dustin Hoffman is introduced is this weird thing where some women drop off Buck to his grandmother. This is all in flashbacks as he's on the bus from Texas to New York, by the way. Right, right. Um, So drops him off to his grandmother and then he has some kind of weird semi- intimate relationship with his grandmother maybe and then through the course of the movie you find out that he and this woman really liked each other I'm kind of thinking maybe high school a little bit after high school s age maybe yeah. they really like each other and then his friends did something to her, but then in another flashback, they weren't his friends, did something to her. And then in another flashback, he these guys grabbed her and did something horrible with her and then held down Joe Buck while they did it. But then there was this scene, this flashback, where I thought... Maybe they were doing it to him too. It was really like, it weird. It was weird. It was it's like the movie was retconning itself while we were watching it. It was very strange. It was trippy. Yes, well, it was also in the 60s. So <sighs> I don't know how else to say it with all the flashbacks and not knowing whether a flashback was a flashback or a fantasy. No, granted, we did at the beginning. I'm pretty sure they were flashbacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. like him having memories of where he was leaving. But when Rizzo is introduced, some of those flashbacks are memories, and some of those flashbacks are fantasies. Seems and oddly not real. It, it is a very odd movie. <laughs> I just don't know how else to say it. But in that. That means that Joe Buck basically is a tall drink of water from Texas, who's good-looking blonde, which is weird for me to say about John Voight, by the way, but he was a good-looking yeah, blonde. Yeah, I only remember <laughs> John Voight in his later years. I've, I was telling Ellen, I've never watched a movie because John Voight was in it, and she said, but I've never really not watched a movie because he was in it. So John Voight, I guess for us, is just... 
a guy that acts in movies that we've watched before. And Angelina, Angelina Jolie's dad. And, well, yeah, and Angelina Jolie's dad. But other than that, yeah. He was okay in National Treasure. He was alright. But that whole movie was just alright. So, so back to the movie. Um, so then he gets into New York and he has some misadventures of trying to be a hustler where, where basically he wants to be a gigolo. That's, that's like the, the thing. He wants to, he came to New York so he could have sex with rich women and they would pay him. And it does not work. Granted, it might work better if he didn't follow them like within a foot of them walking Yeah, he was kind of a creeper. It was... Was kind of a creeper on A it. very strange way Once to again, try to pick up... Very weird... And then when he finally did hook up with a woman, I was confused how he picked up that she, I mean, like, she turned around and nodded, but, like, there was nothing said, nothing, like, obvious. It was very weird. Yeah. Which you'll hear that through a lot of this discussion of this movie. It was very weird. Very weird. But, I mean, she, she was out, like, taking your dog out for a walk. Uh, and she was out taking her dog out for a walk and he used the dog to get to her and she went to go back into her building but then turned around and nodded at him and then he knew to follow her. So there's that. But he was all by himself. He runs into Rizzo at a bar. Rizzo buys him a drink. They chit-chat. I kind of, Steve kept saying this through the movie, kind of like the interaction between Dustin Hoffman and John Voight. So Joe and Rizzo, they had a good chemistry on screen. They were written very well. But starting from pretty much the moment that Rizzo was in the movie, that's where the movie started making at least slightly more sense because it became a buddy movie at that point. Yeah. Even though they didn't like each other at first. It was kind of almost like... Almost like a rom-com if it was buddies. Okay. Where they didn't like each other at first, and then they really liked each other, and they ended up the movie liking each other a lot. So it was almost kind of like that whole meet-cute, and they hate each other. It's kind of like a... You got mail. Where they don't like each other at all, and then they end up together. It's kind of like that, only it's if it was a friendship. basically like most rom-com movies. Yeah, but without the actual romance between the main characters. It's just they liked each other. They, Although, they I did think through half of the movie they were going to... Because obviously I've never seen the movie. I didn't even know. I was actually very, very weirded out that the movie wasn't all at night and nobody roped a steer So because it's called Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> so it was very different than what I was thinking. And I honestly thought that towards the end of it because of some of the scenes and some of the things they were pulling in I kind of thought that Dustin Hoffman and John Boyd's character were going to find out that they actually were in love and were going to get together in the end which is totally I mean it's totally I just that was kind of the vibe I was getting and then it was odd that the to me, that it never happened. Like, that they weren't. Well, yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, there were a few scenes that had 
homosexual overtones. There was a scene where, there's a couple scenes where Voight is trying to get some money, Joe Buck is trying to get some money, and he goes to an area and is picked up by some men, and then they... They one of them goes, him, yeah. yeah they, they, one of them takes him to a theater. One of them takes him to like a hotel room. But in the end, he once again, as with the women, Joe Buck doesn't get what he needs, doesn't get the money, and so there was there was just this very weird overtone to the movie, which. I kind of thought that it would have been very interesting if Buck and Rizzo got together. Kind of like if in the end it was it was this whole thing of they found each other. But then again, well, because that didn't happen, I don't know really what the point of the whole movie was to me. Like, it was just kind of like a guy goes to New York, fails, and then they leave to go to... Miami, you don't really need to know anything else than that. Like, well, a day in the life, almost. That's fair enough. Um, going on to Rizzo, his character, just like Joe Buck, is kind of one-dimensional. He's entertaining, but he's... Dustin Hoffman gives... And I'm, I, I really like Dustin Hoffman. He's not really one of my go-tos, but every time I see him in a movie, he... He works it really well. He does, and I'm not. I'm. This is nothing against Hoffman's performance because he was phenomenal. So actually, Voight was very good too. Mm-hmm. It's just more that the character literally was something out of Oliver Twist put into New York City with the American Italian accent. Hey, I'm walking here. That that thing, and he. He was almost he was almost comical in his cynicism. Like basically every time that you would think that he could pickpocket or rip somebody off, he did. Right. In the most obvious way possible because the audience had to see that he was pickpocketing people. There were a few times where I'm like, how did he not notice that he was being pickpocketed? And I obviously said nobody thinks Dustin Hoffman would be pickpocketing you. I mean, who would who would have known? <laughs> so it was easy for him. So um, the characters themselves, though, together, when they're on the screen together and interacting with each other, actually become deeper than when even they're working a job on the street or whatever. Right, right. And I thought Voight and Hoffman had great chemistry. Like, I I think we've already said that already, Mm -hmm. but I think they worked really well together in every scene they were in together. Oh, yeah. Voight, I'm sorry, Joe Buck trying to be the moral guy, even though he's trying to be the gigolo. But he's trying to say, you know, we don't need to steal things, here's the money... And Rizzo having been a hustler, well, a con man, whatever you want to call him. Because I I guess in the movie, in this world, a hustler is a gigolo. Mm -hmm. But Dustin Hoffman being a con man his whole life is like, why are you paying money for that? I could just steal it. So, like, they have this whole jaded versus new kid thing going on. Um, And then, actually... Honestly, I've got to hand it to Hoffman. He looked like 
through the course of the plot, um, through the course of the movie, Rizzo gets ill and just gets more and more and more ill. And I gotta hand it to him. He, not just with makeup, but like he looked like he was dying. Oh yeah, I mean he did a, a great job of the playing the deterioration. It was almost it was almost like he had consumption. This is another reason why the whole Dickens thing comes up. There's a lot of their street urchins and street people. A lot of Charles Dickens' uh, poor people end up dying from horrible diseases such as tuberculosis and, and cancers and shoot the flu. And that's kind of... Rizzo got a, got a fever and just couldn't shake it because it was the middle of winter and they were homeless, squatting in an apartment that had no heat. Um, so those are the characters. And we did talk a little bit about the plot. Basically, Joe Buck leaves Texas, goes to New York, tries to be a, a gigolo, fails miserably on his own. But once he teams up with Rizzo for real... Because there's a, there is a scene where Rizzo cons him out of 20 bucks mm-hmm. and sends him to what he told Joe Buck would be his pimp, but turned his out... His manager, to, they called him. Yeah. Turned out it wasn't that. Turned out to be a completely psychotic, strangely crazy Christian dude with a neon Jesus in his closet bathroom thing. Uh, but there's that scene... But once they hook back up and actually become friends rather than uh, Joe Buck being Rizzo's mark, things start turning around a little bit, a little bit for the two of them. They're still squatting in an abandoned building that's probably going to be torn down at any second. And it has no heat and Rizzo gets sick. But overall, uh, the main thing about the plot is that there's not... Super major occurrences. There's the flashbacks that happen on the way to New York. There's the the thing uh, I just said. There's a couple said. of parties that they go to. Really, the most of the scenes, though, I think the movie is centering around a lot of their relationship. But most of the scenes, to the scenes to me, just seem to be superficial. Yeah, the... They're just there to kind of pad time and to further the timeline so that there is a logical change between when they first meet and the end of the movie. Yes, Rizzo has a pronounced limp um, that at the end of the movie he can't walk at all anymore because he's just so sick and he can't keep his balance and his leg's already crippled. Uh, So there's all of the last like 40 minutes every scene in the last like 40 minutes of the movie is basically Joe, Joe Buck carrying Rizzo everywhere well not or, so much 40 minutes but yeah most of the rest of the movie the the fourth half of or sorry the last fourth of the movie um, so so Rizzo had this idea that he wanted to leave New York and go down to Miami Miami was going to change everything. Both him and Joe Buck were going to be living the high life. Well, he deteriorates so bad that 
Joe Buck says, we got to get you to a hospital. We got to get you to a doctor. Rizzo says you can't do that. So basically, Joe Buck, I believe, goes back for one big score. Yeah. Finds a man and goes back to his hotel with him. There's this weird scene of Joe Buck trying to get some money out of the guy. The guy says, you know, you're a good person. And then I believe from what happens in the scene, Joe Buck gets so frustrated and is in kind of his last, his last hope to save his friend, to get out of the situation. I believe he kills the guy. I think so. You're, to me, you're led to believe that he kills the guy. And then takes his money, takes all the money that this man has on him. And then with Rizzo, they take a bus to Miami. And then that's when Rizzo deteriorates enough on the bus that the very last scene of the movie is Rizzo dying on the bus minutes away from Miami. And basically... The very end of it is the bus driver just saying, we can't do anything right now. We'll take care of it when we get to Miami. And Joe Buck just sitting there with a dead Rizzo. And then credits. And that last shot was like uncomfortably long, was it not? I thought it was kind of uncomfortably long. And it was really odd because the screen fades to black. It's black for a few seconds, so I'm thinking they're going to have the epilogue scene. The resolution for Joe Buck. And then there's nothing. I think that the resolution for Joe Buck actually happened as Rizzo was dying, though. He was saying to Rizzo, when I get to Miami, I'm going to get a real job. I'm going to work because being a hustler is not who I am. And he kept saying that, but Rizzo was dead, basically, when he was saying it. That was yeah. when he noticed that he was dead. That's a, good, that's a good observation. Yeah, definitely. However, it was there were scenes like that throughout the whole movie where they held on to the shot for an uncomfortable amount of time. Like, there's nothing happening. Why are we still... Like, it, and it's because it's a movie from a different time. 1969 was a long time ago. And I am just too modern in my sensibilities for movies. I It was hard for me to get through the movie just because of the difference between, I believe, the way movies were shot back then the way movies were shot now. And but there are other movies that I really enjoy from, from 40s, 50s, 60s. That's true, actually. <laughs> Me as well. So I don't know. Maybe it was just this movie. <laughs> and it's not, that just... I, it's not that I didn't like this movie, but I didn't... I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. I, I understand... Very, very true. I, I didn't... I would not say that I would probably ever watch this movie again, but I could not hate it, but there was only two reasons why and that was John Boy and Dustin Hoffman when they were in scenes together. Yes, they were great. I don't even know why uh, Sylvia Miles got nominated for an Academy Award unless like because the movie was nominated for Best Picture. Now, they was felt... she the one that was 
um, Jill Buck's girlfriend that had the tragic thing happen to her? No. She was the one with the dog. Where she freaks out, I think, and she's like in a scene. Because remember, oh, wow. she's walking around. He's walking around her apartment, calling her right, Cass right. and Cassie. She was in one scene. Technically, a scene and a half, but yes. But still, yeah, that is very that. I that's I thought you were talking about the his ex girlfriend, but that's very very odd that she got did she win. You said no, she was just nominated. Okay, well, that was very odd that she got a nomination because honestly, that was. I'd almost call that a cameo. Like, yeah, exactly, it, exactly, a cameo, a, a small, well, I but, mean, obviously a cameo is small, but, but yeah, I, wow, that's, that's. I, she did a good job of the freak out when he, he was asking her for money, and right. she, she did freak out and break out in tears and Ooh, did a good a job. Maybe it was Oscar year. It could have been, I, I didn't look up what they were up against, but also maybe because they were up for best movie, they felt that they had to have more representation from the cast. But the cast is literally two people. True, true. So, I, and they're both nominated in the same category because there wasn't a supporting and a lead. They were both leads. Yeah. I mean, Joe Buck had more of the movie, but most of it was just him riding on a bus. So I wouldn't even call that as more of the movie. It wasn't that he had more lines or he was just on screen more. Mm-hmm. Um, but because even in his flashbacks, I mean, it was a little kid playing him when they were having lines and stuff right. when he was doing his flashbacks. So, yeah, I I think the movie was good. I think the adaptation was I mean, like the screenplay. I, I can't say the adaptation was good because I've not read the book, but the screenplay seemed solid, which the Academy acknowledged. However, like I said, I I can I can acknowledge that the movie is good, but I also have to acknowledge the fact that I don't think this is my cup of tea. No, definitely. I mean, definitely not mine. I, like I said, I would probably never watch this movie again. If you like those two actors, I would recommend the movie to you. But other than that, I don't even consider, I don't even think I would ever recommend this movie to anyone. It was worth a watch. I mean, it wasn't a super long movie. I mean, it was just under two hours. So it's not like some of the older movies like uh, Ben-Hur is like four hours. Right. Uh, But... Yeah, I just... It was better than Battlefield Earth. We will... Yes. Yes. So... It was worth me watching this movie. Um, So why was it rated X, do you think? Well, there were the repeated flashbacks to the rape scene. There was nudity. I just don't think that even in 69 there was enough nudity to cause it to be rated X. So I think it was for themes. I think it was... The multiple... Scenes with the woman mm-hmm. and the couple scenes, the the very big overlay of heterosexual beha- or sorry homosexual behavior. Very likely, because it was in '69, and there were some themes that were probably considered fairly pornographic. Right. Like you just don't talk about it, and there was a scene of him on a. Uh, with a John in right. a movie theater that was, you didn't see anything, but it was very 
it was more than was implied. Yeah, yeah, it was more than implied what was happening. Um, the last scene too with the violence when he was beating the crap out of that guy before he killed him. Or if he killed him. I'm pretty sure he did. I, I think I'm with you I on think, that. Uh, yeah, I, I would be very <coughs> surprised if they went and said, oh no, he just hurt him very badly. He looked like he was shoving a telephone down his throat. I think that he probably <laughs> killed him. Yeah. And actually in the last couple scenes, Dustin Rizzo says, asks him basically, did you kill the guy? And Joe Buck's just doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, he so, just says I don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, the weird thing, I think what happened, and see, the, you're, you're hearing a lot of this where both of us are like, I think what happened was, because the movie is not super clear about these things. There's a lot of really ambiguous things, like the, the thing that happened to his girlfriend back home. Like, what happened to his girlfriend back home? Maybe right. rape, maybe I, what happened and who did it and what happened. Nothing ever, like, there's no clarification. He doesn't say anything as part of his backstory when he's getting to know people like this happened. Nothing. It's just vague. And so I apologize for me saying this, but what I think was happening was the guy was in town on a conference and picks John, uh, picks Joe Buck up. Uh, with with an understanding that he'll be paid fifty seven dollars or something to that effect, okay. because in the hotel room, I don't know if you remember, Joe Buck says, "No, I need fifty seven dollars." Ah, okay. And he's not going to give it to him. But as he's beating him up, the guy's like, "Yes, I deserve this. I deserve this." I was, I think maybe. That scene and some of the things that were said, some of the things that were implied that was supposed to happen that didn't happen because the guy backed out because he talked to his mom on the phone. Um, and then the the very violent, actually, for the time especially, very violent murder scene. I mean, it was more than just shooting somebody. Right. So I think that's probably part of it. I think it's like a whole package. Right. Of, yeah. True. True. That, I mean, there were... There were multiple instances where I thought, okay, yeah, that's probably why the rating got what it got. However, uh, after this movie came out, not even one other movie was even nominated within the the rated X category before they replaced it with something else. I don't even know if NC-17 has been nominated. As far as I know, no, but I mean, I haven't done any research. I don't know. Uh... And I think the NC-17 is probably a closer rating to what this might have gotten, or rated R, if it was well, put I out today. Well, I think in the modern times, too, the homosexual overtones in the movie would not constitute any more uh, a pornographic movie, just in and of itself. No. And the nudity in the movie today is a rated R. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... NC seventeen. I don't need. I mean, well, it's just that they won't let. They absolutely hardline will not let anybody under seventeen in. Right, and I just think honestly, it's just more rated R. I mean, okay. there was some. Not to be crude, but there was some butt, and there was some breasts, and that was basically it. I mean, that is true, and there was very tastefully, actually, weirdly enough, tastefully filmed sex scenes where you didn't see hardly anything. Like you right. knew what you knew what was going on. 
Right, right. But it wasn't gratuitous like you get today. Not at all. Like, at all. Uh, so, I think that, the last thing, um, I think that Midnight Cowboys, number 43 on the AFI's top movie of all times list, because of two things. It is the only movie that has a rated X that was nominated and won the Oscar for Best Picture. However, I also think that because they they look at content as well, not just the importance of the movie to culture, but the content of the movie within the culture that it was made. And I think that Midnight Cowboy actually is sort of like a little time capsule of what late 60s, early 70s New York looked like and what people did to stay there. I mean, they showed a little bit of the, the counterculture through some of the party scenes. They showed the homeless culture. They showed people desperately trying to make their way through, through Rizzo and through Joe Buck. Mm-hmm. They showed a lot of, uh, they filmed in Times Square. So all of the random be real stuff that they put back there, like the RIDAR gate, uh, the right guard ad that sprayed oh, aerosol, right, like right, all that yeah. stuff was real. Right. <laughs> so it was kind of like a time capsule of New York right then, because New York doesn't look like that anymore. So I think that's also what's very important and why it's on the list. Okay. What about you? I, uh, I, I don't know why it would be on the list. I mean, if I was looking at it, I wouldn't have put it on the list. But if I had the counterculture, the the themes that the movie went towards, um, I think that even though we keep saying the movie was just weird, there was kind of this this odd way of storytelling. Um, the uh, Now, I am totally with the actors getting the nods. I thought the actors were amazing. That might be part of the why, but I honestly, I could not tell you. I mean, it's not anything like our first uh, best movie was Lord of the Rings. I could tell you all day why I think that movie would be on the top 50. This one because it was so weird for me when I watched it and because even though I liked the actors in it, I probably wouldn't tell someone they need to watch it. Um, Agreed. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time on this one, so... Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't argue with any of that. And the only reason I came up with that is because... I'm a little bit of a, ner- a movie nerd, and we're both kind of history nerds. And I just combine the two, and I kind of do see why an institution like the American Film Institute that's supposed to preserve quality films reflecting the culture of America in various different times, this does reflect the at least New York's culture in the late 60s and early 70s. I agree with that, and like you said, I mean, it was an X-rated movie that got nods, so... Hey, that's important. That's an important pop culture sort of thing, too. Um, Speaking of pop culture, Dustin Hoffman's Rain Man voice, I think, comes from this performance. Yeah, Ellen did say while we were watching it, oh, Rain Man, so... 
it's just a, a tone to his voice. It's not even the accent. It's just like he... Dustin Hoffman's natural voice is not as high-pitched as Rizzo's or... And now I feel really bad because I can't remember. The character he played in Rain Man. Um, Raymond? I don't know. I it might be remember. Raymond. I can't remember. Uh, but he he has a higher pitched voice when he's playing both of these characters. And I think that's probably what tripped it. It's not so much the accent. Because I think the accent's actually fairly close to what Dustin Hoffman's accent actually naturally is. It's just in a higher pitch. Could be. It's just been a while since I've heard Dustin Hoffman actually talk as Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> He's such a good character actor, he kind of picks up different things. But So yeah, there's your pop culture reference right there. Well, that and the, hey, I'm walking here scene, that, uh, that comes from this movie where Dustin Hoffman almost gets hit by a cabbie and actually... From Yells what, at him. Yeah, from what, I genu- from what I've read... That was an unscripted moment that they tried to recreate because they had to reshoot it. So they put an extra in the cab to try to recreate it, but they used the footage of the unscripted moment. Because it was such a low-budget film, I get they only spent like $3 million or something to that effect on production. Now, granted, this is $1969 millions as opposed to $2020 millions. But that's still a very small budget. So they had to do what they call like sneaky shots or gorilla shots or illegal shots where they would wear a wireless mic and there would be a hidden camera and they wouldn't hire extras to fill out the... They would just do it on the street. And they had to time this scene because they're crossing a street to just continue to walk. So they had to do it a couple of times with the dialogue. Okay, so we have to go back this far. We have to start the scene right here. And move. Well, this cab came and tried to blow the green light as they hit it. And Dustin Hoffman evidently yelled at him and hit hit the roof of his car. He was like, hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. And beats the crap out of it. And he walks on. Like the classic New York moment that everybody thinks of when they think of a New York pedestrian. So that comes from this movie. All right. All right. So. I you have any... Else. Final thoughts on this one besides we both don't know if we liked it, but we really liked the performances. We would tell people to watch it only if they liked those actors. Other than that, we really wouldn't mention it again. That about sums it it up. All right. So that is our review of Midnight Cowboy. It looks like they are lighting the lanterns on the streets of Royville. Do you have anything else you want to tell our fine audience? Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any comments or questions about this review or anything else about the Royville Movie House, please comment below. Be nice. And if you would like, hit subscribe to... Listen to more reviews of the 50 best and 50 worst movies of all time. Until then, bye. Good night.